The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Emma Hurd, your host for today's show. I'm a landscape architect and a horticulturalist that works on a wide range of projects. And I'm pleased to welcome you all to the show this morning. I hope that there are some listeners out there awake and keen to call in for a chat with us, um, with myself in the studio today. Um, I get to welcome Jane, Jane Tonkin. She's a horticulturalist and a bulb specialist. She's here to teach us all about some of her special plants that she grows. Welcome, Jane. Good morning, Emma. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for coming in. We've also got Craig Wilson in the studio, reputable plant specialist from Gentiana Nursery in Alinda, and a fantastic landscape gardener. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Emma. Morning, listeners. Yeah, welcome. Um, and we've got a third wonderful guest. We've got Jeremy Francis in here from Alinda Cloud Hill. So welcome. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, and and good morning to everyone. Yeah, wonderful. So, what's been going on, gang? What's been happening in the gardens? Well, I've been doing some work for Peter T, so as I have been for mm, the last three, four years, and he's a cons- consummate collector. At the moment, I'm planting Syringa vulgaris, um, European lilacs, wow. and I've put in 20, and I think I'm way below half way through his collection of cultivars. And so he's establishing uh, like a display garden for his Well, the display collection. gardens have been there for a long time, mm-hmm. um, chronically overplanted. Yep. So I've been going through them with a chainsaw, and, <laughs> yeah, cleaning them out and cleaning up a lot of the plants that are remaining and, and replanting. Wonderful. Yeah. And have you been trying, I suppose it's quite a bit of work IDing some things or do most things have labels or? If in doubt, ask Pete. Yeah. And he knows. <laughs> he knows everything. Yeah. 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 yeah, oh, yeah. Fantastic. He, he's one of those people who's a, like a textbook. Yeah. Yeah. And so I suppose probably most of winter's been taken up by, um, you know, bringing up those lilacs and then transplanting them and... It's been quite a well clearing the place to plant yeah. them too. Yeah, yeah, we're putting them all along the front fence along um, David Hill Road. Oh, that's going to yeah. be a fabulous display. Yeah, and yeah, are it's they... an extraordinary collection. Are they quite large specimens? They would be. Oh, look, they range from a meter up to one point five, one point eight. Oh wow! Yeah, that's fantastic. And then, yeah. does he use those as sort of the stock plants as well to take cuttings yes. and things? That's yep. Right. So we're talking about Peter T's from Yamina. From Yamina, yeah, rare that's plants. Right. Everybody, yeah. if you, which yeah. is the nursery's being cleaned up enormously <coughs> at the moment. It's yeah, I've noticed as I've driven past really David Hall Road that it's all that cleared bit. That, that's, that's my. It, re- 
excellent. <laughs> That's Craig's dream. My influence. Yeah, yeah. I want him to put a car park in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not much parking, is there? So that's and not... it's a bit scary. Yeah. Mm. The down park. the hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, a f- fabulous nursery for mm. anything of those rare trees and things, particularly magnolias and things at this yeah. time of the year. Pete's got it. It and can be hard to get in touch with Yamina, though, so <laughs> persevere. Yeah. Um, emails, I suppose, yeah. would be good because he's probably out in the nursery yeah. all day and so maybe at night an email might be a, Chronically a better Chronically understaffed. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the nursery industry, that's isn't right. it? You yeah. haven't got the money to yeah. <laughs> pay that's, people. That's a seriously amazing nursery, but you do have to hunt very hard for the plants. Yeah. But yeah. they are there. That's, yeah. It's just a... Uh, he says, what, Arnold, um, uh, he was friendly with the Hillier family yeah. in the Hillier's nursery in England in, uh, where is it, Wiltshire, I think. Uh, um, Their the, the catalogue was literally an encyclopedia, yep. uh, which, which, which was sold in bookshops as an encyclopedia. Um, uh, uh, several hundred pages mm. of, <laughs> and uh, with 20 or 30 plants on every single page. It was just amazing. And um, and, uh, and Harold Hillier and Arnold Teese uh, knew each other quite well. Yeah, and it all, all went from, and it all built up from there. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's amazing the plants Arnold brought into the country, and including mm. that Potosporum silver shane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do, do remember him. I, I, I met Arnold back in 1970. Eight, and yeah. he, he was quite excited about this new Potosporum. Right. <laughs> well, it yeah. certainly gained popularity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it was quite revolutionary at the time, but yeah. it's just a bit too revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. Um, just thinking of lilacs, have you come across the ruin? Um, you now, I might be mis- mis- uh, mispronouncing the bit, but the ruin lilac? No. The old French one? No. I know that one's kicking around, and, 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 and I think David Glenn gave me a couple. Years back, uh, R O U E N. R O U, yeah, R O U E N. So mm-hmm. it's the one that's used at Headcote um, on the main axis in the circular garden there. Yeah, and it's 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 a bit more. It's just, it gets up to a small tree size. Yeah, it's the the foliage is a little bit more attractive. Okay, and the flowers a little bit more open. Yep. But it's it's one of the loveliest, but it's not a vulgaris type. Right. I'll have to keep mm. an eye out for that. Yeah. <laughs> there is a significant it's, collection of Syringa there. But, yeah, so yeah. it's still there. Yeah. you just got to find it. That's right. <laughs> is it a mauve flower? Or, yes. Yeah. yeah, mauve blue. Yeah, beautiful. Hmm. Well, yeah, what, so we're very excited by lilacs. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it, there's something so pleasurable about working through a collection of plants at in all in one go, yeah, and yeah, just making refreshing them, making mm-hmm. them beautiful again. Yeah, the garden. I don't know if any of you have seen um, Stephen's latest podcast on YouTube. No, with dwarf conifers, mm. and and the gardens around Yamina are full of them. Mm. Forty years down the track. Wow. Yeah, that uh, sounds... loads of them, and they would be you know three four meters high. And do you think Peter will? Like maybe open up the garden with Open Gardens Victoria one day for people to come look at. I can't imagine. No, that. no, no, I can't imagine that. Yeah, no. I can't imagine Pete doing that. He's a yeah, humble sort enough. of guy, but he, 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 the nursery is retail. Yes, yes. So, so you, you can go you, and you go just, and have a look. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you know once that's all re-established and stuff that if you're going to buy 
plants mm. from the nursery that if you say, oh, can I have a quick walk around, Pete will say yes. Of yeah. course. Um, you know, yeah. so yeah. there will be an opportunity to look at it. Yeah, there is I now. Just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just imagine, like, because it's kind of little known, yep. I just imagine, you know, having a bit of a, a boost from something like being open with Open Gardens Victoria would put it on the map a bit. It would be good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you can pitch it to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll. yeah, you feel like do it. Yeah, make Craig do it. Yeah. 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 Just hold the chainsaw while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Open it up or the, you know, the tree gets it. <laughs> no. Well, I've got some community announcements and because spring has sprung, there's quite a few. So please bear with me. Um, we've got uh, a talk online uh, presented by the Royal Botanic Gardens and it's called The Plant Thieves, Secrets of the Herbarium with Dr. Prudence Gibson. And that's taking place on Tuesday, the 5th of September. So this coming Tuesday, it's from 5 p.m. till 6 p.m. So it's only an hour. And um, Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens costs $10 and non-members are $15. Um, so bookings close on the 4th of September, so on Monday. So please um, check out the Royal Botanic Gardens website for um, the booking information on that one. Um, Open Gardens Victoria, in, in conjunction with Jack Semler, are having a Flower Fundamentals Masterclass online. You can join Jack Semler of Superbloom, recognised horticulturalist and flower maximalist, for a series of practical masterclasses to take you through the planning, preparation, propagation and tending for a summer garden filled with flowers. There are four online sessions, Thursday the 7th of September, the 5th of October, 9th of November and the 8th of February. Or, um, and that's the start of 2024. And they're from 7.30pm till 8.30pm. And if you are a member, you can take advantage of a discount for purchasing all four classes. Um, sorry, not a member. I mean, if you purchase all four classes in one go, then you pay $170 for the series. Or if you would like to only go to a couple of them or pay for the classes individually, they're $50. And you can book that via try booking. Um, full details are at opengardensvictoria.org.au. Um, and this weekend, the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society is having their spring show, which is today from 10am till 4pm. It was on yesterday too, but you can't go back in time. So <laughs> today's the day, guys. Um, we've also got the Australian Plants Expo happening on Main Road in Eltham, and that's the 9th and the 10th of September. And then on the 14th of September, we've got Plant Trust. They're having their AGM and their plant sale. And then uh, Tesla Tulip Festival is starting on September the 16th and going through until October the 15th. And you can get more information at tulipfestival.com.au. Uh, encouraging Women in Horticulture are having a self-driven tour to two wonderful landscape gems of the west western part of Melbourne. So the first stop is to Sunnymead Garden, which is a beautiful garden created by um, Peter and Simone. And um, there'll be a morning tea there. And then after that, we'll drive on to Roraima, which everyone's heard of Roraima, beautiful place, um, and have a look there at their beautiful display gardens and have the opportunity to purchase plants. So um, that's on Sunday, the 17th of September. And you can find more information on Encouraging Women in Horticulture's website. Um, Global Gardens of Peace are hosting a presentation by Tony Renato. 
Um, it's called The Forest Maker, and that is happening on Wednesday the 20th of September from 5.30pm. Join Global Gardens of Peace for an inspirational and thought-provoking presentation with Tony as he shares with us the discovery, promotion, impact and spread of farmer-managed natural regeneration. A farmer-led method for regenerating trees and his thoughts on the need for the potential for farmer-managed natural regeneration here in Australia. So that's taking place at 143 Brunswick Street in Fitzroy. Um, Non-members are $40 and members are $35. Uh, Please note, unfortunately, this is not a wheelchair-accessible friendly event. Um, So, yeah, check out Global Gardens of Peace website and you'll find more information there. One that we've got a few speakers in the room here today for is the Alpine Garden Society's conference coming up on the 23rd of September. So, Jane and Craig, you're both speaking, presenting at this wonderful Well, we event. think we are. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds like there's some organising to be Oh, done. no, no, no. We're just, I'm just funny. Yeah, yeah, I think we've got it in hand. Yeah. 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 It, it should be fun. Um, and, yeah, that conference is, they're bringing out John Mitchell from the Edinburgh Botanic Gardens to um, be the keynote speaker, I suppose, for the morning. Um, and also Russell Lark from our very own Cranbourne Botanic Gardens is doing a lecture as well. Um, and then, yeah, Craig, Matt Reed from Antique Perennials at King Lake and myself are all doing a panel discussion on some specific woodlanders. Yeah, we, we so we selected out rhizomatous, mm-hmm. bulbous and, and herbaceous. Yeah. yeah, so we're covering three... Mm. Different woodlanders. Different that, woodlanders, yeah. yeah. Um, so we're not going to tell you anymore because you've got to buy a ticket. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've already bought my ticket, so I'm <laughs> excited to come along. Um, do either of you know the website? Yes, yeah, so it's agsvicgroup.org. Beautiful. Go along to that, listeners. And um, the tickets are reasonably priced for a two-day conference. I think it's like 130 yeah, I'm not sure of the price yeah. now, but it's only one It's only one day. Oh, sorry, um, yeah, one day. That's yeah. okay. Um, and yeah. you get... To go on little excursions. There's, mm. there's two little excursions that each attendee can go to. Yeah. yeah. So the morning session is at Sky High, so it starts at 8 o'clock. There's all the lectures and discussions and things and lunch and morning tea and all that is all included. And then the afternoon um, things are like Craig and Matt um, are doing a how to plant a woodland garden uh-huh. at, at Gentiana. Um, so you can choose, opt in to, cho- to do that. <coughs> then there's um, Alan Ayton teaching you how to build a crevice garden and that man's knowledge on alpines is just mind-blowing. Um, and then, you know, people can come and have a little behind-the-scenes tour of ours, maybe see some fritillarias in flower and things. Um the beautiful Viv Condon and her amazing garden will be open for people to go and have a look at and John Mitchell will actually be at her garden in the afternoon um, so that you can sort of ask him questions or things while you're walking around Viv's garden. Um, yeah, so there's lots of activities that people can get involved in. So Viv's, cool. Viv's garden would be my pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're not yeah. picking ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just fantastic. Yeah. So... Um, I've kindly been given the prices, so it's $120 for members and $150 for non-members. So, And if you want to attend virtually, which would just be the morning sessions, that's $95. So get so online. That, that $150 would cover three sessions, mm. would cover yep. the John Mitchell, yep. you and I. And then the afternoon, yeah, you, one, one of the afternoons. Yeah, and it includes all your lunch and stuff yeah. as yeah. well. So it's, it's yeah, 
it's uh, Aaron Condon and Aaron's yes, doing, yes, Aaron's yep. doing the crevice garden. Right. Is he doing okay. the planting yep. of the crevice garden, or is he doing the crevice garden and Alan's planting it? So there'll be this amazing crevice garden built somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and there is, Aaron, yeah, Aaron is a specialist at building the darn things, yeah. and he he built several hundred meters of crevice garden in the garden down below Cloud Hill um, back about twenty years ago. Yes, and he's been building them ever since. since. Yeah. Mm, it's um, going to be fantastic. And, and, and then there's the opportunity to see an established crevice garden at both Viv's place and at her neighbour's mm. place. Yeah, because yeah. I think her neighbour's is open yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So. And then someone's doing a, a, a little session on building one within a pot. In a trough. In a trough. That's yeah. right, yeah. Mm. yeah. So that'll be nice for people yeah. that maybe don't have the room for a full-size crevice garden. If you've just got a courtyard and you want yeah. a miniature version mm. in a trough, there's and certainly I, lots of tiny plants you can grow in yes. them. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone's interested, they sort of need to book reasonably quickly because I mm. think the tickets are sort of getting to the stage where they're selling out. So, yeah, um, yeah have a look at the AGS Fit Group website and book yeah. your tickets online. Yeah, wonderful. And then we've got the Yay Garden Expo. That's coming up on the 23rd and the 24th. And the Australian Native Orchid Spring Show in Mount Waverley, that's on the same weekend, the 23rd and the 24th of September. And then on the 23rd, which is also the same weekend, um, Melbourne Clivia Group <coughs> Expo, East Burwood Uniting Church. So the 23rd and the 24th are going to be very busy. Um, and then one final one heading into October um, Open Gardens Victoria is opening Kinkora Garden, which is at 57 Kinkora Road in Hawthorne, and that will be on the 7th and 8th of October, the Saturday and Sunday. Um, so that will be a lovely one to attend, and you can find more information about that at Open Gardens' website. The ANOS show, the Australian Native Orchid, is one of my favourites. Yeah. It's the terrestrial orchids. They are extraordinary and some really skilled growers. Mm. Yeah. And do you grow any at your place? No, no? I don't have the time. Yes, yeah. they're just a marvel you, you, to... You just go and look at them. Yeah. 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 Um, like it's a, I agree, it's a fantastic event. They also yeah. have sales, so yeah. um, you have to be there first thing on the Saturday. <laughs> it's a bit like any other thing if you want to buy things. Um and I think it's relatively cheap. I think it's only a $5 entry or something. Mm-hmm. And some of the times that I've been, the dendrobium display is just epic. That's right. Um, yeah. And, yeah, the terrestrial orchids, you'll see terrestylus. There'll be um, thalamitras, so the um, sun orchids. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of those beautiful metallic ones that are found sort of South Australia, WA. Um, there's a lot of those that in a pot that you've just never seen anything like it. Um, bird orchids and things will be, mm-hmm. corobus and stuff will be out. Um, and they do a photo competition as well. So um, people that have gone out into the wild and taken photos. So um, there's some beautiful pictures that – and a lot of them are for sale too, so if mm. anyone's interested. Um, yeah, and plant sales and things and yeah. um, if get on member, board. If you're mm. a member, they have a tuba distribution mm. Too for the terrestrial orchids. Yeah, yeah, which is run in January, I think. Yeah. Um, so you can find out about, they call it Tuba Bank. Um, you can find out about that while you're down there as well. Um, and if you're a member, you, you get this list of tubers that you can purchase and they're, they're like $2 a packet. Mm-hmm. Like it's so cheap. Um, and then all these volunteers get together 
um, and last year it was in my shed, and um, it's this chaotic sort of packing tubers and stuff that are donated by all the members and stuff too. So the idea of it is for A, conservation, and, and B, it's stopping people going out in the wild and going, oh, I'll dig the orchid. Yeah. Um, so... You know? Very important and a great opportunity to meet some experts. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. The farm we had in, in Western Australia was um, uh, the, on the west boundary. We had the Perth Geraldton Railway going through. And going back to the 60s, um, I, I have such strong memories of the wildflowers along the railway tracks, so on each side of the railway tracks, and orchids and the kangaroo paws, where we had about four or five different species. And the, the the sheer density of the, of the flowers every spring was incredible, mm. um, and um, people would come up from the city and pick them by the armload. It's kind of awful in a way, but um, yeah. I, and and I, I've just been thinking about it in the last few years, and and they they kind of all vanished uh, over the next ten twenty years or so. And it suddenly occurred to me that really what was happening was that the original um, uh, the, the, the original um, trains were steam locomotives, of course, <laughs> and uh, they were throwing sparks everywhere. And so every um, spring, the, the gangers would go up and um, each side of the railway burning to reduce the chance of a fire during the summer. And consequently, that's exactly what these plants needed. Mm. And they were absolutely thick. When the diesel locos arrived in the late 50s, um, the, the burning stopped, of course, and, and the flowers disappeared. All these, uh, they, they kind of dropped back to, um, well, um, um, shrubs getting up about two, three metres high, and, and so no more kangaroo paws, no more orchids. Yeah, they got smothered. Yeah, smothered. And uh, so it sort of says something about Australia, I feel. Yeah. Uh, it's just, just by happenstance, the, the gangers have kept the old um, Aboriginal traditions going for 60, 70 years and then suddenly it all stopped. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. It's, um, yeah, hopefully it's something that will be re, re-brought back you know, so that we, we start yeah. considering these, these types of land management. Mm. It's certainly being discussed. Mm, definitely, mm. yeah. Well, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Emma Hurd, and here with me in the studio, we have Jane Tonkin, Craig Wilson, and Jeremy. And um, I'll open up the phone lines. Um, give us a call on 9419 or text us on 0488-809-855. And you can also email at 3cr.com gardening at gmail.com we've actually got an early bird text message um and i feel this one will be directed mostly at jane um when is the best time to fertilize bulbs before during or after flowering to ensure repeat blooming next season and also which bulbs are best lifted for storage versus leaving in situ cheryl bitten Good morning, Cheryl. <laughs> At least she's up early and listening yeah, to us. Yeah, you know, that text um, came in last night, actually. So she must, <laughs> she must have thought, oh, I might not get up early enough. So or just, she might not have remembered this morning or yeah. something. Um, okay, before, during and after flowering on quite a lot of them is a good idea. Uh, daffodils, you know, fertilise as your plant. 
that kind of thing. They don't don't need a lot of fertiliser. Um, so it all depends on what bulbs you're actually fertilising because there's a few of them that really, really love food um, and then there's others that don't need as much. So it's a little bit complex to sort of answer in a yes, no or... Mm. Um, well, let's go deep. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's hear about um, and she said something about the which bulbs need lifting mm. and like all the big Dutch tulips and things need to be lifted and put in a, the fridge each year. But if you grow the species tulips, the ones native to Turkey, um, you can leave them in a rock garden situation all the time mm. um, and they'll just keep coming back each year so long as you fertilise. Yeah. Um, so it's all about sort of those things that you leave in, um, it, it's all about Remembering, remembering, uh, yeah, and not putting a a fork or that through them, but and top dressing. So, generally, I would suggest that a garden gets top dressed in autumn and in spring. So, um, if you can remember those, but there's also autumn flowering bulbs that, um, you know, you're going to be fertilizing them while they're in flower too, like Mm. colchicum, and there's some autumn flowering crocus and things. But, general rule of thumb, I would go with. Uh, autumn and spring, and do it twice a year on bulbous things. But so the crocus um, need feeding, do they? Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you like to top dress with? Um, I use a product called Organic Plus, which is a palletized, like a chook manure type thing, um, and I use a lot of blood and bone, um, specifically blood and bone um, a lot in open sort of garden situation because it it tends to. Uh, keep the rabbits and deer and things away for a little while. Um, they don't like the smell of it, So, and it also benefits the plants. So there's a, a two-pronged thing there for me in advantage. But And dolomite? Um, yes, yeah, so depending on what I'm top-dressing, but dolomite definitely on colchicum, crocus, those sort of things. But any of those more North American things like erythroniums and stuff, no, they don't need so they like acidic more soil. acidic soil. So oh. it's, it, you know, Cheryl, it's also working out... Um, where something is from and, and what sort of pH your soil needs to be for those sort of things. and But generally the Organic Plus is a great go-to right. as well for um, just flicking around the garden and it, it does smell a bit, but that's okay. Yeah. And, and so narcissus are not fed much at all? <laughs> no. Um, the more you feed your narcissus, the, the better foliage you get um, and less flowers. Okay. So, um, and then I think there was a lady that called in last week about her... Uh, daffodils that weren't um, flowering very well or they had um, really long, thin, skinny stems and were falling over so she was a bit troubled. And um, So she probably needs to, I think it was Liz, but if I'm wrong, I apologise, um, needs to move her daffy somewhere where they're getting a bit more sunshine. They need about six hours of sunshine to be that optimal flowering and um, the more shaded the, the position is, the flowers tend to elongate and stretch, which makes them a bit floppy as mm. well. And um, their stems grow a little bit translucent. Yeah, white. Because, yeah, because it's stretching too too fast and trying to, to find the light. And I will go with um, plant them deep. <laughs> I knew Craig would nod yeah. at me. Um, daffodils can go anywhere sort of four, five, six inches deep. And at, at that depth... Um, by the time they come to the surface, they've got enough to sustain that stem, um, enough strength underneath the ground. So she may also have her daffodils a little bit too shallow and they're just flopping as well. So if that helps. But we digress on Cheryl's question, sorry. Oh, that's right. Daffodils yeah. can be amazing when we're making Crowd Hill uh, 
back 30 years ago, we, we uh, pushed a, aside some um, topsoil about two metres deep and halfway through the spring, a daffodil popped out of the top <laughs> of this and, and kept going and, and, and they sent up another half a metre or so of foliage and a, and a flower which just collapsed all over the ground. But, out of, you know, it was topsoil so, and it was just loose. So we sort of traced it back down to the bulb and it was... And it was two and a half metres from the bulb <gasps> to, the, to the end of the leaves. Goodness, mate. I see, that yeah. one might need some food after all that gro- growth <laughs> to get yeah. to. That's, yeah. that's the ultimate survival, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That's um, very impressive. Yeah. And then there was an email. So while we're on daffodils, there was an email that was sent in that Virginia forwarded to me. And I think the lady's name was Libby. Um, and something's been eating her daffodils as well. Um, so she sent a couple of photos and to me it looks like snails or slugs because she can't see anything sort of during the day. Um, so maybe a little trip out at night with a torch. Living yeah. Only good. the flowers that drives you berserk. Yeah, and, and as she said, they start from the edge of the flower and then go yeah. all the way to the stem and then stop. And then there was some black sort of spots uh, which would be a um, little bit of snail poo <laughs> left behind on the flower. You know, it's not bad enough that I eat it, I'm going to poo on it too. Yeah. But, um so I would suggest that, yeah, go out with a torch and just see whether you can see any snails and slugs, but that would be my bet on what's eating her um, daffodils. Now, look, for snails and slugs, there is some really good organic, like, EcoShield um, that's also registered for organic gardening as well. So it is one of those ones that if you are trying to be 100% organic that you can use, um, and it uh, the irons and stuff in it that break down contain great nutrients for the soil as well. So they've got that added bonus. So if she looks out for something like EcoShield, um, or you can use coffee grounds, eggshells, all those sort of um, mm. home remedies and things like that. Um, or the crack of dawn with a pair of scissors. Yeah, <laughs> so that's right. Craig likes to cut blokes oh, in half. Yeah, brutal. But, um, oh, well, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that go out and sort of pick all the slugs off off their plants and put them in a bucket. And, yes, true. You know, or give um, them to the chickens. That that's exactly right. Um, so that just might help Libby a bit. But um. thanks for that, Jane. We've got another question. Can you please tell me where I can buy a green clivia? How easy are they to grow from seed, John? I'd suggest that they go to the Clivia show that's coming up. Um, What date was that? Emma's just going to look for the date for that. There's a lot of plant sales at that Clivia show um, as well, so you can get a lot of those different coloured ones to your normal orange. Just have deep pockets. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so that's taking place on the 23rd of September and that's at East Burwood Uniting Church. Church. Yeah. So I would suggest that you they would go there yeah. to start with because uh, so many of their members are breeders and things and so you're more likely to get what you want um, mm. and there'll be a great deal of them in flower and it, it's a great show too. Yeah, um, so if you want to get information about that, Google Melbourne Clivia Group Expo. And if you were to grow them from seed, there's a couple of things. You would need to be sure of the reputation of the grower you buy them from and you need to be prepared for a long wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they take a long time to germinate, they don't do, they? Yeah, and, and to flower from yeah. germination five, six years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a fun project, but mm-hmm. if you have bought the wrong seed, then you'll be quite bitterly disappointed. But yeah, that that Clivia show would be where I would suggest to go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. 
Well, it looks like we've got a lovely array of plants brought in today. Does anyone want to nominate to go in first? <laughs> we, you go, Jeremy Craig. and I just nominated Craig. Yeah, we. Oh, <laughs> Craig's got half a garden here. Yeah, that's yeah. right. As usual, cyclamen, cyclamen, the spring flowering species is Pseudibericum, nice. which is magenta pink, I yeah. guess, and. Like a comb, but mm. but on steroids. Yeah, it's yeah, it is definitely comb shaped, but yeah. um, about six times as large right. as, a, yeah. as a comb. And yeah. it's settled into my garden easily and self seeds, but the the, the cyclamen seem to love the dandenong ranges. Yeah. Mm. How much sun, Craig? Doesn't really matter because as long okay. as they get the shade in the mm. in the summer. They right, so cool. under something deciduous. Deciduous is perfect. Yep. That's where I have them growing. Yes. Yeah. And it's got a perfume too. Yeah. yeah. Um, beautiful, quite sweet terrific. smell. Yeah. And and only one colour. It is only in that magenta. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, what's the foliage like? Is it um, is it mottled or? Yeah, a little bit, but yeah. it's not startling. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Grow up for that startling. amazingly huge flower. The big uh, flowers. Yeah. yeah. I'll spell yeah. it for the people out there that like the spelling. So, yeah. Cyclamen Sudibaricum. Sudibaricum. C Y C L A M E N, and then P S E U D I B E R I C U M. There you uh, go, everyone. And then we have Rapandum, <laughs> which is the last one for the flower for this for the season, and tall, thin flowers. Is that a white Rapandum? It is indeed. <laughs> and are they rare? White. Well, I think uh, the white one is. Someone taking notice here. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Jane would like one. That's no problem. <laughs> um, keep going. Sorry, I'm the. Rapandum is tall. The, the petals are tall and slender. It's very elegant cyclamen, yep. and and the tubers go down really deep. <laughs> They are almost impossible to find. I, I worked at a garden, Dunbray, in Mount Dandenong, and he had a vast patch of rapandum under a big redwood. And he said to me, I'll oh, just get a couple of tubers for yourself. Couldn't find them. No, I've done the exact same thing. Yeah, couldn't find them, and, and I ran the risk of destroying them look, looking. So yeah, I it's a bit up. like Jeremy's daffodil. Yeah. <laughs> um, they do. They, I've done that. You've gone down to sort of eight, ten inches, and yeah. you're still trying to follow this little thread. And That's then, right. yeah, I gave up too because I thought yeah. I'm just going to kill them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've never seen a white, so I, I'm, I'm speechless. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a, yeah. it's a shock, isn't it? <laughs> it's, a, it's one of those curious things, isn't it? That bulbs that obviously they start off on the surface, the seed, the, mm. you know, that's where the seed is, and yet the bulbs end up a long way down. They go down yeah, they, yeah they, 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 they just move, yeah. they pull yeah. themselves down. Wow. Uh, and Rapandum has been seeding into my lawn. Which, which oh, is, how terrible yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to come and do something about it? And, and it does have beautiful leaves. Yep. Really, um, a lot of silver in them, heavily marbled leaves, and the leaves sit right on the ground. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they're just like they're sort of like snowflakes, aren't they? The the patterns on them, they're yeah. very beautiful. Very beautiful. But Rapandum is also one of my favourites too, Craig. I think because of that elegance, that long stem and those swept back pe petals are just thin and slightly twisted. It's, yeah, yeah, mm. it's quite an elegant cyclamen. It's beautiful cyclamen. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, thank but, you for bringing those in. But, you know, as in bulb depth and things like that, like the repan, like you, you put tulips in a pot and tip them out the next year, they're right down at the bottom That's of the right. pot or they, they yeah. do what they call a dropper 
and the babies get sent downwards instead yeah. of up. And, um, yeah, they can be a foot deep when you go to dig tulips and things too. So. Mm. Yeah. Special characteristic. Or in, the, or in the case of Saxitylus, they'll send their big rhizome um, yeah, stolen out the out the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing how many tulips can actually um, grow through polystyrene. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah. They drop out the bottom of the polystyrene boxes and stuff. And Do you when, think they're in, eating it? Oh, or? no. When the, it's just that they're, they're such good they, doers, tulips. They burrow. Yeah, just burrow into it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've had them stuck in the side of poly boxes and things. And, wow. um, yeah, tulips, are, species tulips are cool. Yeah. We need to be in here in another month, Craig, with all these species tulip flowers and yeah. things. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, oh, we'd welcome um, it. And, and, they, and they take their time to settle in. <laughs> And I know I planted at Folly Farm, I planted tulip saxatilis, and it was about 10 years. Till it actually did. Till it actually yep. flowered heavily and made Feed a decent sized plum. <laughs> yeah, I'll yep. try that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spread around the organic plus on. Yeah. Yep. Because it's got a little bit of um, like a dolomite characteristic mm-hmm. lime in it as well, it's good for tulips too. So mm. um, sprinkle some dolomite too. I will. Mm. Great tips. Yeah, last two or three years we've been planting the various clusianas yeah. uh, in, um, well, in grass out in full sun. Yeah. And they, uh, I was just wondering how they would go. I was half expecting them to... Uh, go backwards over a year or two, but no, no, they're charging ahead. They're going forwards. Yeah. yeah. They look amazing things. in yeah. dress too, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been raising Clusiana from seed, which is the way to get a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. Because the increase is a bit slow. Yeah, it, um, they don't, they're not prolific like, um, let's say, Wetalii or something like that. Yeah. Um, they do. And they're, they're not like your big Dutch ones that make two or three babies if you're lucky each year. Yeah. It does take time. But things of beauty take time. And, and yes, that's right. <laughs> this is true. Always. Yeah. We've got our first caller for the morning and I believe Michael from Caulfield will have some information about clivias for, um, for John. So... Uh, doesn't. <laughs> Welcome, Michael. Um, Sorry to keep you waiting. That's all right. I I, I missed the comment, the comment about the um, uh, the clavier, so that there was a show coming up or something. Yes. But I actually have a clavier problem. Oh sure. They're they're planted around. Uh, I've got a robina, something like that. It's a big tree, um, and I've got them planted around the, uh, oh, probably about a couple feet away from the trunk, and they're doing very well. But not all of them. So the, the ones that are more toward the north of the garden are doing well. The ones on the more south side of that uh, thing are going yellow. I'm just not sure what to do. Is it Rabinia, is it? The, the tree is Rabinia, yes. Yeah, so it's deciduous. Yes, yes. So it's got plenty of sun at the moment, yeah. Yes, that may be the issue. Mm, yeah. Oh. Uh, the clivias really like the afternoon shade. Yeah, they like the shade. And even at this time of the year, I've found in my garden the ones that I've planted under deciduous trees, not that happy. Yep. They, yeah, they, they, they even ever- tolerate deep shade. They need evergreen mm. shade. Yep. 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 Uh, well, the, the house is uh, shaded from the afternoon sun, uh, but it would get the midday sun. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah. north is having the problem. That's, uh, we get the more sun. And it's the south that, that's having the problem, which it would seemingly get the less sun. Mm. Is, what are we supposed to fertilize them with, please? Um, 
I would just use a sort of quite well balanced um, bulb food, yeah. like your, your NPK of sort of you know, but ba- basically really well balanced of nitrogen, potassium, etc. Is ten, ten, ten. Um, so if you can get a bulb food that's somewhere around that, or any of the slow release um, osmocote type um, ones would be, but I'd do a um, a quick release one, like one of the three month ones, so that it's a quicker feed rather than a, the slow nine month release. Mm. Um, okay. I would try that to start with. I mean, if it was me too, I'd just sprinkle bod and bone on my clovers mm. and. Um, I found them to be very shallow rooted. Yeah, and they love mulch. Yep, thick mulch. That's and probably roots, a good idea. The roots too. just spread right out yeah. amongst it. Yeah. Get, um, okay, I've done give them that, some that, mulch. That, that, yeah, yeah. Cool. give them a thick mulch, a really thick mulch. Okay, I'm going to try it. And a feed. And bottom bone and, and a mulch, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's do that. I'll try it. Thank do, you very much. Do you much. grow them, Jeremy? No, not really. I'm, I'm just trying to think where I've seen them growing well. And the, the generally old gardens, <laughs> neglected old gardens. Yeah. Um, um, well, all plants like a bit of um, fertiliser, but um, I don't think they're terribly hungry, are they? No. Not a uh, lot, no. Mum's um, got them growing along the side of the carport where they get no attention whatsoever, but yeah. they're in full shape. Yeah, yeah, but if they are yellowing, I guess it is telling you something. It's either yeah. too much yeah. sun or a nutrient deficiency. Yeah, something. Because yeah. I don't think, unless they're growing in water, I don't think it can be really too wet for a clavia or too mm. dry. They're, they're mm. pretty adaptable they're to both. pretty forgiving. Um, yeah. So mm. try yeah, some food that? and some mulch. Okay, I'll give it a try. Thank you Thanks for much. calling. Wonderful. Thanks, Michael. Bye. And we have another caller on the line. We've got Liz from Mount Eliza with some questions about daffodils. Hello, Liz. Yeah, hi, Dad. Thanks for um, being patient. No, that's okay. I'm the, I'm the Liz that rang last week. Hi, Liz. <laughs> hi, Jane. Um, so that all makes sense about the sun because those it's about, I don't know, 50 or 60 of them. They don't, um, they get very little sun and they, uh, they're just falling over. They're just miserable. In fact, I'm cutting them and putting them inside in vases. Well, that's just good. To see them. Yeah. Just have a look at them, but that wasn't the plan. No, no. I, I think so, as soon as they um, go all yellow and die off, you can lift them and um, that's I'd my put, question. put them yes, on the other side of the house that you were talking about last week. Um, I will. And when... So do the, when I lift them, um, so they've still got the leaves on them, the um, yellow and oh, the leaves, and, Yeah, the leaves will go all yellow and then eventually brown and sort of sit down near the top of the ground. Yep, then you yep, can yep. dig them. And generally that's anywhere from mid-November through. Um, okay. You can lift and, and shift them. A lot of people will shift them in the green um, as well, so in as, as in digging your clumps right now, which is not – going to be detrimental to a daffodil so but you've just got to make sure that you get a spadeful of dirt with them because their roots are quite like a thin bit of cotton yeah. um so you don't no, want... I'll wait yeah I'll wait. yeah if you can wait just just wait because yeah. it, it's not going to improve them this season no. anyway and when you plant them just use um like a, a general bulb food or something if you've got mm-hmm. it if you're going to use blood and bone just not as much as you would on other bulbs when you plant okay. them Okay. Um, and plant them about six inches deep when you do it. 
Oh, I do. I plant very deep. Yep, I good. do use the Craig method. And <laughs> <laughs> it's now known as the Craig method, isn't it? it? Is. Yeah. And the other Craig method is it's pruning. I let everything all there's, they're under two deciduous trees, so they've had like eight years of just leaf beautiful rot. Yeah, yeah. you're very so famous, other- Mr. Wilson, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then when I dig them in, I'm leaving. All the leaves. I'm not taking them off. Oh, the leaves will just the leaves will just naturally come off as you dig them. Okay. Um, okay. Because okay. generally, if you want to clean up your daffodil patch, November, December, you can just grab all that old foliage with your hand, and it comes away and put it in your compost. Oh, okay. Or yeah. Pull it off. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, Thank you very much. And then, yeah, plant them straight away. You can store daffodils all summer in your garden shed and things like that and then plant them. that's not going to happen. No, because then we forget about them. (laughs) So plant them straight away and then you don't have to worry. I move them all now. Yeah, you move them now. (laughs) I move them now because I know what colour they are. I know where they are. Yeah, Yeah. actually, that's a good point too. Otherwise, I just forget. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the the other thing is with, with... daffodils and not flowering and long stems and things, it all comes down to breeding as well. There's quite a few daffodils that have been a bit interbred. Um, um, Jane, I always get them from you or Tesla. Yep. Um, depending on what, you know, do you know what varieties they are? Oh, and that's the other thing, uh, which is why I knew there was a problem either with the soil or, or where they were, is I've got, I wouldn't have a clue, but I've got many varieties. Yep. So I've got all different yellows and, and the trumpet bit in the middle is some are orange and some are yellow and some are white. and So I've got many, many, but they're all doing the same thing. So Yep. Um, all, all lifting at the same time regardless of yep. what you should, We're doing are. a new daffodil patch. Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much and wonderful show once again. No, so, thanks, thanks, Liz. Thanks to everyone. Thanks okay. for calling in, Liz. Wonderful. Well, we've had a lovely text message come in um, from Di, one of our producers, and she mentions that Di's Delightful Plants has green clivias available for sale on their website, um, and it's Clivia Hireo. So that's a, a Japanese uh, name. Yeah, And it's a, it's a beautiful clivia, so I can understand why people are interested in it, because yeah. it's just stunning. The green clivia. So if Absolutely. they can't if they can't make it to the clivia yeah. show, well, ordering online is just as easy. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks, Di. So they'll probably be <laughs> seedlings. Yes. Yep. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe tube stock. I have a friend who's a great clivia breeder, and he tells me that the green ones are pretty good from seed. Okay. At coming coming through. true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good to know. Yeah, I have a collection by default in my garden. It's not something I really went out and chased, but there they are, including that, lots of interspecifics. That can happen to, to plants, people. You know, you just end up with yeah. with things you didn't intend, but they're they're lovely to have. I'll uh, say the phone number again: nine four one nine zero one double five, and text is zero four double eight eight zero nine eight double five. So yeah, call in. Have a chat with us, and we'll um, we'll continue talking on. Um, so we've got some other lovely plants. Jane, you've brought in what looks like some crocus. I went with blue today. Yeah, <laughs> I thought spring and blue. Mm-hmm. Um, blue's my favourite colour in the garden. So um, now the the pot in front of me that Emma's sort of saying crocus. Well, um, she could be forgiven because it's known as the Chilean blue crocus, uh-huh. or Tecophilia. 
Um, so it's a genus of um, corms like a like a crocus that's native to um, Chile, and where they grow in the wild, um, they're now getting to the close to extinction. So we need to preserve what we have in cultivation. Um, they come from an area where it's quite dry over the winter, um, and then the summer it's sort of um, quite dry as well so it's trying to keep them um, moist and (laughs) well drained but the whole thing about it is that it is the most intense cobalt blue flower that opens up very much like a a crocus Um, and they love their food too so here's a bulb or corm that needs a lot of food so any of the the stinky ones the better as well Um, so or liquid feeding as they're growing um, they love it, and that will be to do with the fact of sort of yak poo and things like that that comes out of the snow melt when um, they come up and things. So, it again, where something comes from, a lot of these things that are from alpine snow melt areas, we find that if we feed them more, um, they do really well, I think. Um, so it's all about blue today. There are... Um, Two species in the genus, so there is viola viola flora as well, but it is nowhere near as spectacular as cynocrocus. Yeah, it's Um, like an electric blue. It's just amazing. um, But still, it's still a tecophilia if you can get hold of that one. Um, In the species cynocrocus that I've got, there is also violet glinii, which has more white in the middle of it, which is just equally as beautiful. And then there's violacea, which is a sort of um, more sort of purpley, um, one as well, but they're all cynocrocus. Um, and is so this something where the foliage comes up first and then the flower or the flowers first? Um, no, the, the foliage comes first and then uh, the flower comes up through the centre of the foliage, very much like a, a crocus as well, except the leaves are more sort of species tulipa type of mm. looking leaves. But uh, it, it's quite rare and... Um, a little bit more difficult to grow. So, but if you're accomplished in crocus and things like that, you can always give a tickophilia a go. Will you... Slugs like eating the flowers. They, oh, they do. They love it. Yes, oh. snails and slugs love them. Sorry. Yep. Will you have any of them for sale at the conference? Um, no. no. Um, right. the, the problem being that we sort of didn't know back in February when I would have planted them in pots sure. that the conference was going on. But, no, I'll have lots of other yummy things in pots for the conference. But Yeah, that's another um, good thing to note about the conference is that the, yep. lots of the presenters will have some plants for sale. So. Yeah, and the actual Alpine Garden Society themselves are having a plant sale at Sky High when it opens at 8 o'clock yes. for the for the people attending the conference can buy stuff too. So okay. that might be a bit of, you know, elbows out. and Alanaton's yeah. coming out of it. Yes. Yeah, there will um, be good things to buy Yeah, there. Alanaton's bringing a whole van load so, yeah. of alpines and things, so that's great. Um, yeah, so the tecophilia is something that's a little bit unusual. Um, hopefully there might be still a couple out when people come for the tour of the nursery so they can have a look at how beautiful it is. But yeah. it is my favourite blue in the world. Well, so. before you rush off at the end of the show, I'll take a picture and we can send it, it to Liz. It's looking show. very sad, but it well, should be, should be open and yummy. Well, <laughs> yeah. I haven't but, found yeah. a great difficulty in growing them. It's yeah. just they're, they're slow. Yeah, very slow to increase. Yeah. It's probably why, like, when you, when you buy one, they're probably $20 each kind of yeah. thing um, and everyone's just gasped. But, um, yeah, it's slow to increase and to set seed is sort of um, need to be hand-pollinated, which is a bit of a task too. Um, so, yeah, if you 
getting hold of one, it's well worth it because it's taken me years to get them. To and where us. would you plant that? Um, look, they they will take uh, full sun, um, sort of rock garden type of situation. I mine generally get afternoon shade, so morning sun and afternoon shade, um, and it's all about having that moist, well-drained. So mm. you need a good quality compost mixed with gravel or perlite or something to, to give it that so it's remaining moist but not sodden and wet. Is something like a mushroom compost good for...? Look, it, it, I, I would go with a mushroom compost for a lot of woodland things as well. Mm. Um, but for this, you'd need to add a lot of um, drainage and stuff for your mushroom yeah. compost. It's a kind yeah. of an alpine scree. Yeah, uh, situation, you know, yeah. isn't it? It's uh, yeah. in fact thinking of Aaron Condon and his um, um, well, crevice, his rocky, yeah, yeah, crevice yeah. gardens. This is a crevice plant. Yeah, uh, except, crevice mm. garden, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. at uh, where was it? Wisley, I think uh, they had a garden which was uh, a, a rectangle of dry stone walls with a hollow centre and paths running from each. Um, side, so it was, it was four L's, if you like, forming a rectangle and sitting up about a uh, uh, 600 high and that had every possible crevice you're going to think of and there were about four or 500 plants that occupied a tiny space, but four or four, five hundred different species mm. of of um, alpine scree plants, <laughs> including some of these, I'm sure, yeah. which would have been sitting, I imagine, at the top. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know you got to think what is an alpine scree. Well, it's uh, well it's exposed to the sun, it's exposed to the elements, uh, but it dries out on top. But there's subsurface moisture moving through all the yeah, time. Yeah, moving you know? moving all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, simple. You just got to do <laughs> that. <laughs> what I found with tickophilia and the likes in the garden is that you need to give them their space. So you don't plant. You you have to have a bed which is dedicated to little bulbs and you expect to have a bear have it bear for a, a over the summer over the yeah. summer and yeah. that's the thing over the summer it needs to be kept cool and dry as well if possible yeah. um, so don't water it other than what mother nature's providing ours um, I mean I grow them commercially so ours get lifted each year to you know maintain stocks and things like that but um, if it's in the garden like a rock garden at Craig's mm-hmm. or whatever he wouldn't be you wouldn't be watering that bit with all the crocus and things no. in it and stuff anyway mm-hmm. no I have a bed specifically for little bulbs and there's nothing mm-hmm. else and, and it's bare for a, yeah. a and good, you have to good watch chunk of the year rabbits and things like that with yeah. these sort of so you know generally it's probably better in a pot to start with if you can because of snails and slugs and mm. rabbits and grr. Will the rabbits dig for the bulb? Um, yeah, and they eat the foliage yeah. off. Okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, yeah, if they eat all the foliage off, then that's bad for the next season. Exactly, yep. Um, I had one year I had them in poly boxes, but they were on the ground and the rabbits got in and ate them right back to the surface. And, yeah, the, the actual corn sort of deteriorates to mm. half the size. And, and it's disappointing because you get to this stage where I'm like... I can finally list them. You know, mm. I can I can share this. But, um, yeah, rabbits didn't think that was a good idea. But yeah. I'll spell it for everybody because they can have a Google and see how beautiful this blue is or whether Jane's just crazy. No, it's, so it's well worth a Google. T-E-C-O-P-H-I-L-A-E-A. So Tecophilia and then it's Cyanocrocus, C-Y-A-N-O. C R O C U S. So have a have a look um, because I think you know if 
if I'd Googled that for the first time and seeing it's it's a stunning colour. Yeah. Um, it's a, just a little jewel. Yeah. So pretty. I have a few pots left. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So just... Craig's selling them? Yeah. Is that, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, so um, Craig will be open later on today and <laughs> pop into the Form a queue. Yeah. 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 yeah, I've had them for years. <laughs> Yeah. I just didn't know whether you had them in yeah. pots to yep, sell, yep, so yep, you do. Yep, yep. So there you go. You can um, and you, they can order online. Can you yep. post them? Yeah. So yeah. Craig can post it to you too. So if you want to just stay in bed with your warm cup of tea, give him a call in a couple of hours. And um, <laughs> well, it's a beautiful day for a trip up to the hills. It is. <laughs> so yeah. and, you and, and Cloud Hill would look beautiful yes. at the moment yeah. too. I imagine, Jeremy. Oh yes, yes. Uh, yeah, the big uh, boreal rhododendrons flowering, and uh, the meadow, the grape hyacinths. I noticed yeah. uh, you, you have one or yeah. two <laughs> as well. Ours are just a just a mess of blue, but yeah. uh, but they're quite impressive when you got uh, I don't know, hundred thousand, couple of hundred thousand, maybe yeah. a million uh, of them scattered the, over um, quite a big area. The arboreums are incredible this year, aren't yep, they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah, that's yeah, they're doing quite well in the hills. It's uh, so it's the tree rhododendron. So it's one species. It grows everywhere in Asia, uh-huh. and every mountain you range you come to, it's slightly different. So there's quite a few different selections, and uh, we have a um, collection. Which sadly I don't have the history for, but I, I imagine they go back to the 50s, maybe to the 30s. Uh, one or two massive ones. We know where they come from, we just don't know uh, who supplied them. But um, the, the, the biggest is the one in the restaurant car park, which is Rhododendron Arboreum Delavei, which comes from uh, the Himalayas and is actually the national flower of Nepal. <laughs> so that's absolutely at its best right now. Mm. now if you want to see something amazing, uh, there it is. And so Robert Peel's not bad this year either. Yeah, um, yeah. We sadly, I lost my Robert Peel. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a lovely white. We we have one which is really interesting because I I'm, I'm wondering a bit whether it's a um, uh, it's something that cropped up on Cloud Hill because we moved it from a very odd spot, um, and it wasn't all that big when we moved it, but I recognised it as an arboreum. Mm. And that one flowers with a raspberry red flower, which is just superb. Yeah, and they all have lovely foliage, mm. quite rough bark. Um, but uh, this particular one, I've, I've been watching it year by year, and that's flowering right now as well, and thinking, well, maybe it's a seedling because we have seen seedlings. Yeah. There's not too many rhododendrons will seed yeah. in Australia, but um, arboreum will. Mm-hmm. Not, not a lot. Uh, but there's a few of the old Chinese selections have seeded around the place. So this is one with a pink flower. And um, there's a few down in our neighbour's garden, which are quite clearly seedlings. They've just popped up here and there. Maybe seven or eight plants all together. Um, and so this this rather strange raspberry red one. Well, <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> I need a I need a really good arboreum specialist in arboreums to have a look, yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And the, the big leaf varieties are flowering around the hills yep. too. The macrobenums and and macrophyllums. Yep. Yeah. And what do you do to keep them healthy? And what's what's good advice for someone that wants to grow one? Well, they. Well, the arboreums are slightly irritating in that most probably they grow quite well through Melbourne. They take a bit of heat. Sure. 
but That's they've good. got to be grafted to to propagate them, mm-hmm. and no one's grafted rhododendrons in what thirty years really. They're grafted onto Ponticum, are they? Uh, um, yeah, I imagine. I'm not too sure quite what the stock uh, rootstock would have been. Mm. Um, Is it? Would the rhododendron the, society be grafting any of them? No. No, I, I, I just there, there was a grower doing them back in the eighties, okay. <laughs> and I haven't heard of anyone doing them since. Okay. It's a shame because, as I said, they, they, uh, it would be one of the easier rhododendrons through Melbourne. Mm. They layer very well. Yeah, and and that's mm. uh, and I, look, I think in the old days, I, I think quite a few of the nurseries uh, did layer plants. Mm-hmm. It's it was one of those things that. Straightforward to do, just really, really, really slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you have to have the low branching. <laughs> and, and in the old days, yeah. in the old days, uh, people were happy to pay the best part of a week's wages for a plant they wanted, <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> which is what you've got to pay for a layered plant. And if you were to purchase a layered one, like, uh, or to try and grow one yourself, do they transplant well once mm-hmm. they're established? Uh, they're, they're, I'm sure they would. Yeah. We, we've moved one or two of ours. With no great ceremony, mm. uh, with a front end loader. <laughs> so the advice would be: find someone with a mother plant and ask them if you can have a layered yeah. piece. The, the rhododendrons, because of their fibrous root system, seem to move really easily. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The most, yeah. I, I think the we moved one big old rhododendron from the middle of what had to be a car park, dumped it on the root mass of a. 30-year-old beech tree, mm. and it carried on. <laughs> we, yeah. we didn't blight it. We just just popped it to one side and thought uh, it will come back to that. We never mm. quite did. And <laughs> and it's still there, and it's looking magnificent. <laughs> if you're moving them, you need to get the high-pressure hose on and, and wash a bit of the soil off around the root ball because sometimes they have difficulty moving out of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. Because we had a lovely neighbour that was redoing their garden and they had one, so they just got a digger and brought it over to our place. Yeah. Just a massive clump. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because we dug a hole yeah. and just put it in. But mm. I think maybe if we had of, it, it didn't do well in the first summer yeah. and then now it's starting to reshoot. If, like, if you hose off the root system, yeah. you can move them a bit more quickly. And the okay. same with azalea. Same thing. Because otherwise it's like it's root pot bound or something. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but they seem to have difficulty moving out of the old root ball if you just dump them in dirt. Mm -hmm. And tend to be like varias like to be, the varia rhododendrons like to be up um, above the soil sort of thing. You you actually don't dig a hole. You plant it on top of the soil and build up soil and compost and stuff around those because it's about drainage on... um, a lot of rhododendrons and stuff too. Yeah, so just yeah. it's interesting what you say, Craig, because um, as I said, we we literally big front end load and lifted this yeah. plant, and dumped it <laughs> uh, underneath, well, uh, to one side of this beach. But it, literally, the beach the roots would have been uh, formed a absolutely solid layer through That's the right. soil, and the rhododendron went straight on top. <laughs> literally, with no, and that's all we did. But I'm, I'm just thinking, um, and they, of course, we've got this car park. We keep it. Uh, we, we move the leaves off it uh, onto the side around the beach and the rhododendron. Mm-hmm. So the 
I guess just the leaf mould we've been moving from the car park has been sufficient to keep this plant happy. It, it took two or three years to settle down, yeah. but now it's magnificent. And it was about four metres high when we moved it, and we took about two and a half minutes to move it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, were, we were trying to build a car park at the time. <laughs> well, you, you live in rhododendron paradise. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, yeah it's, it is unfair I guess yeah. <laughs> well I mean it's lovely to hear about it in any case even if you don't get up to the hills that often it's nice to talk about them I, the I think we forget when we're living in the hills what a tiny pocket of the country we live in that yes. can grow, where you can grow rhododendron yeah. yeah, and we tend to take them for granted when we shouldn't well, sometimes in the suburbs you come across one massive rhododendron and you just think, wow, isn't that – it's just so impressive. It's just yeah. gorgeous. And I think it's so lovely to see that someone has kept it, you know, because yeah. a lot of them, when the old homes get demolished, the whole garden does as well, mm -hmm. and then those specimens are gone. There's, uh, there's a small list which are highly adaptable mm. um, and uh, will do well through Melbourne come what may. And, and but what was it? Nine hundred species, I think. I don't know. And and then several thousand hybrids, um, um, and most probably of those, there's twenty or thirty which are, um, which will adapt to pretty tough conditions. Yeah. Uh, at least uh, for the southern half of Victoria. Um, yeah, so but it's where we are spoiled. But on the other hand, climate change as things are changing, and mm. so, uh, Bolter's Nursery, when we set up our retail nursery, we used to go around to Bolter's um, wholesale nursery and, uh, and picking up rhododendrons. And in nineteen, in the early nineties, they they still had a catalogue of. Well, a fair percentage of the species, yeah. <laughs> and about half the hybrids. It seemed to me there was many, many hundreds they were offering at that point. And my suspicion now is, even in, in the Dandenongs, about half of those are not worth growing because mm -hmm. because of um, well, it's partly climate change, but also there's a heat sink effect uh, affecting the Dandenongs. And Melbourne's moved up all around. And that's altered the climate as well. Mm. So we're both both things have um, restricted what we can do. But it is an amazing pocket, the, the Enchianthus perillatus, which is a notorious plant, which literally will grow it beautifully in the Dandenongs and not out of the Dandenongs. We have one which is um, came in from Japan, which is as magnificent as they ever grow in Japan, is, is colossal, um, and yet... <laughs> drive off the mountain, uh, five minutes off the mountain, it will not grow. Yeah, that's it's right. as simple as that. Enchiantus yeah. mm. perillatus is a bit hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> it's also hard to propagate. Yeah, it is magnificent. We have three of them. Come along and see ours. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it strikes from cuttings. It's just moving the cuttings. Yep. As soon as you move them, they drop dead. Yep, oh. Yeah, yeah. And I've spoken to the teasers about it and they've – same. Just about destroy their lives trying to propagate yeah. Echianthus perillatus because it is so magnificent. Mm. The, the, the autumn colour is, is is makes it perhaps just about the finest plant in their garden. Yeah. And um, and then at this time of the year, it's coming into flower with little creamy bell flowers. It's uh, this weekend they're just starting to go, but uh, the next uh, next weekend they'll be magnificent.
Good I have a friend who's visit. trying to graft it onto Campanulatus. Righto. <laughs> Let's see how that works. Mm, keep us posted. Mm. Yep. Well, we did have a question texted in. Um, we've got John. He's asked, uh, Craig, earlier you mentioned uh, interspecific clivias, and he would like to know what is an interspecific clivia? So the interspecifics have a, a, like a bell, a hooked bell, so they have a little cluster of bells mm. rather than the big flat that the Minata hybrids do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there are a, a whole raft of them. Lovely. Yeah, so very different flower structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all it means with Clivius. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what other plants have we got to look at? I see a magnolia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is Magnolia lenii alba, which is a Solangiana hybrid, and I think it's, after Denudata, the best white. And the reason I say that is that there is no pink stain at the base of the petals. It's pure white all the way through. So many of the white ones have that pink stain, which to me makes them look a bit dirty. Yeah. Yeah, so if you do come up to the hills for a drive, you'll see these magnolias on Craig's Verge. Yeah, they're flowering on the Hackett's Road nature strip. Yeah. How's, yeah. how's that candlelight going? It's, it was... Just like about cut, finished. Ah, right. Breath, <laughs> breathtaking. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we've had a busy week. And I see he was good at the beginning of the week, and yeah. I, but I've not seen it since. Yeah. yeah. But Lenii Alba, a little bit difficult to find for some reason. Pete Teese was at my nursery yesterday getting scions for grafting it, so it, it'll be at Yamina before too long. But it's well worth looking for. And it's a good grower and it sets seed. So in the autumn, I don't know if if you've seen magnolia seed, but they are big sort of lumpy red things. Yeah, like conkers. Yeah, and this one gets covered in it. Yeah, the carawongs come and eat it all. Oh. They would. (laughs) But it's a perfect goblet shape, isn't it? Perfect goblet shape, yeah. And that's sort of ivory white. Mm. It's beautiful. It's stunning. And how tall does it get? Small tree, yeah. so like a Solangiana, perhaps mm. not quite as vigorous as the pink one. Like three metres, four metres. Yeah, meters. four metres, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Five at a push. Yeah, if it's got good soil depth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they like some lime, the, the magnolias, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and potash is always a good one on your mags. Yeah. yeah. And what, yeah. what time of year do you like to feed them? Oh, when you feel the urge. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. sure. Um, Any time. Two or three times a year. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 we we uh, once caused big problems with um, magnolias and pots by feeding them early. Yeah. And uh, that's probably a little bit over generous with the fertiliser and it affected their foliage. And checking with one or two of the growers, they said, no, no, wait for them to be in full leaf and then feed them. Okay. Mm. That's yeah. in a pot, yeah. Yeah, in a pot. So in the ground, most probably not yeah. quite so important. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they just, are surface just, rooters. Yeah, and they have just, a very fibrous root yeah. system. So. Yeah, no we, um, no, we had to hide them around the back. We didn't kill anything, but <laughs> yeah. they, they weren't saleable for that summer. They went a bit summer. squiggly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're very they sensitive to overwatering in pots too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they'll go yellow yep. because they're just depleted. That's right, yeah. Yeah, best on the ground. Mm. Mm. Good advice. What other lovely things have we got? James. Um, 
Oh, well, as I said, I went blue today. Everything has got a little blue theme. Um, I have, and Craig bought one too, which is kind of funny because we we always sort of bring the same thing, don't we, because we have great taste. (laughs) Um, I have anemone anemone blander, um, which is the Balkan um, windflower. So a lot of people might know the little wood anemone, so anemone nemorosa, which is sort of found throughout Europe. Um, this one actually gets a little bit taller, so it goes from Crete through into Turkey um, in the sort of open woodlands and um, meadows, etc., where it uh, is a little bit more moist um, but well-drained as well. And it gets to sort of 15 um, nearly 20 centimetres tall and to me it's all about that deep beautiful blue showing Emma now um, and but they, they do come in pink and, and white as well but for me it's about the blue. Um, Craig's got a, had a very nice white one here with a pink um, on the back of the petals so they open up like a very small daisy um, with these beautiful boss of um, sort of creamy yellow stamens in the middle and that flower's held above these beautiful um, serrated ferny-like foliages typical of a, a wooden enemy. Um, so great under your deciduous trees, great under your mags and maples and things. Um, and it takes a long time for this one to increase. Well, it does for me. I'm not sure if Craig is the same. Compared to the wooden enemies that um, tend to be just, they, they look like a little stick, the rhizome, um, an enemy blander sort of more like a, a, a bit of a lump of dirt, like Aranthus really, <laughs> isn't it? Tuber, yeah. 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 Um, and I, I think it takes a long time for, for that to increase for me, whereas the, the um, other wooden enemies are, are quite easy to increase. That's but, an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> Shh, we're trying to sell them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. an enemy blander is something that's a little bit spectacular for your woodland spot, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. Self-seeds yeah. quite freely for me. Does it? Mm. Okay. And, and, and many different colours. Colours, yeah, yeah. very variable. Yeah. yeah. And will it take the sun? Um, it's it's summer dormant, so okay. it, it's, it's one of those little woodland plants that pops up and flowers and then goes down. Yeah, so it's sort of spring... Um, sun that we're having now and it's I mean mine's been out for half of the winter as well so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of this time of year and as Craig says you know it'll go dormant and um it can be left sort of cool and dry over the summer and then it just comes up again next winter Perfect. but yeah yeah an enemy bland is a good one mm. yeah and, and and surprisingly tough yeah and it's just it's all about the color for mm. me yeah. and yeah it does look like a little daisy if yeah. And the, the foliage is, is great. On all wooden enemies, the, the foliage is great too. Um, so and any of those anemone nemorosas, I think you, you grow just for the foliage as well as the, the flowers that sit above them. But you can make a beautiful drift of um, wooden enemies under your deciduous trees. It just looks magic. Yeah. Anemone nemorosa is a real problem for me. Why? It's in every garden and bed <laughs> on my property. Oh, too yeah. much. <laughs> too much. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Yeah, 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 no, no, it's yeah. pretty vigorous. That's pretty for sure. Vigorous, yeah. 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 There are some nice forms of nemorosa, yeah. which are perhaps not so strong. Yep. Yeah, but the pale blue one, oh, it's mm. everywhere. Do you find yourself you dig it out in clumps and then pot it up? It's a futile exercise. Oh, okay. Because every little piece of rhizome that you leave behind, it reshoots mm. again, and then off it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we don't particularly like an enemy nemorosa. <laughs> 
You have to have a sail of it. I love it. <laughs> Spread it around. It just forms this incredible mat of rhizomes mm. under the mulch. Mm. Oh. We, we, um, someone, not me, planted an enemy toponica underneath the magnolia and nearly killed her, killed the magnolia. Mm-hmm. Really? And this was magnolia been in the ground for 40 years. Uh, but I started to notice it going backwards and uh, we thought, oh, we're going to have to get rid of this in the enemy, which is a battle. Did you, did you we, get rid of it? Uh, well, it's, we're still working on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, you've got to just leave the area fallow for the next several years and mm-hmm. just pick and pick and dig away at anything that pops its head through until you eventually weaken the root mass and kill it. And I but, suppose you really don't want to be digging it out, especially under a magnolia, no, which is no, shallow rooting, because no, you're no, going to no, damage we, the tree. Literally. So we're, we're, we're just taking the top off. If you do that with any plant, eventually you'll kill it. But, mm. it, you know, it's three years, four years down the track, it's still popping up. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to get rid of it long now because for years I've covered it in cardboard and mulch and, mm. yeah, yeah, cut it back and pulled it out and dug it out. And it, I've decided, no, nah, I just can't be bothered anymore. Mm. And what's more, the deer eat all the flower heads. Yeah. So it doesn't even flower. No, um, so it's sad about an enemy toponica because the single white form with which should be called Honorine Joubert, is one of the loveliest plants of all time. Yeah. Mm. But it's but, but it's highly, highly, it's a, it's a serious weed at the same time. Yeah. There, there are, there's a little batch of, 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 of um, selected, well, what are they, hybrids? I'm not too sure. I think they're a, 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 um, a cross between Japonica and something, mm. uh, which have been released at the moment. Um, under particular names, they appeared. Um, one or two of the <laughs> big growers were, uh, were releasing them, and they were starting to pop up last autumn. And they're meant to stay uh, more in the clump with the same flower as Japonica. So, dare I, <laughs> we did grab a few of them and we'll find out just how much they stay in the clump, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. Jeremy's going to let us know. <laughs> yeah. We'll you let you do this. Yeah. 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 And in the meantime, stick with an enemy blander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Japonica, of course, is a autumn flower rather than a spring flower. Much bigger. Mm. Yeah. Different different animal altogether. Really. Yes. Yeah. 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 True. Yeah. Well, we've had a text message come in uh, talking of clivias. I was very kindly given a small cream-flowered clivia by a friend last weekend. If I plant it along with my other orange clivias, will it eventually lose its cream flower and the orange take over? That's Alice from Mount Eliza. I don't think it No, that won't happen, but I I would plant it separately simply for the impact Mm. because if you put it with the orange one, it's just going to lose its impact. Yeah, And the orange one can be a bit thuggish too, so until your cream one settles in. Yeah, Yeah, that's the more likely situation is that But it's not going to change colour if that's... It won't change colour, no. That it might get smothered by the orange Mm. ones and then you'll you'll find you've got lots more orange ones but the the cream one just didn't persevere, you know. Um, so, yeah, recommend planting it separately. But very nice gift from her friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. lovely. I noticed we're swapping between clavias yeah. and clivias. Yeah, <laughs> I remember having a conversation with Judy McAllister, who passed on many years ago, sadly, but, uh, but a notorious Hills plants person. Yeah. <laughs> 
and I was asking her, you know, which should it be? And she said, well, it depends on whether it's the name for Clive of India or the Clivendon family, and no one knows. <laughs> so take your pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I think as long as people understand what you're talking about, it yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah, true. Yeah. This is true. But, yeah, I'll switch between because, you know, everyone's different. So either mm. one. Either one works. So what else is happening at Cloud Hill at the moment, Jane? Um, well, um, all sorts, actually. We've um, had an interesting winter doing lots of renovating of hedges. We've, we've got a big job on tomorrow, actually, which is um, <laughs> a bit of an experiment. We're taking the top off a Thuya hedge, Thuya mm-hmm. uh, Oxendentalis. It's the uh, the old fastigiata form. Um and that's the hedge beside our cool borders, a little bit too high, so we're taking about a metre off it. Ouch. Um, <laughs> now, I had a long discussions with one or two conifer growers uh, about uh, whether or not um, thuyas will, regen- will grow from the old wood, and the word is they will very, very slowly, mm-hmm. so we're likely to have... Uh, um, the top of the hedge is likely to be bare for quite a while. Uh, <laughs> but they think now is a good time to, or um, yeah, as good yeah, a time as yeah, any. Yeah, as good a time with the, with the weather warming up. Right. Yeah, there's Thuya placata and the Thuya oxentalis, and I have seen a Thuya placata hedge cut right back into the old wood and then regenerate, but of course you... With any conifer, you, you do this with great trepidation, mm-hmm. so it's 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 an experiment. Mm. Um but um, no, with, with, with the garden looks really interesting at the moment because we have been chopping into everything as hard mm. as we can go, <laughs> which you have to do uh, within, the, well, 30 years now. The, many of these plants are 20, 25, 30 years old. Mm. It's commendable, um, though, in a garden that is open to the public to still, you know, like yeah, you, you, I know there's no choice, but at the same time, like you still ha- kind of have a strategy around yep. what you're going to do so that you can make it so it's still presentable. Yeah, the 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 um, pruning has to be interesting in its own right. Yeah. And for oh. instance, we have uh, two or three specimens of Pyrus um, uh, Salicifolia <laughs> pendula, the weeping silver pear, which is a really awkward thing. It's not weeping at all. It just grows in every direction <laughs> does, simultaneously. Um, and I've seen um, specimens in English gardens just pruned into a geometric shape. <laughs> and most probably that makes as much sense as anything. But we're pruning it in two different ways, the same plant. And one we've just taken back to a frame which um, uh, was almost pollarding. And the other one we're deliberately trying to prune it to to accentuate what can be a bit of a weeping habit. Mm. But that requires a huge effort as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it, it, it just go to a lot of trouble with the pruning. You spend two or three hours on one plant. Mm. And when you've got a few thousand plants, that <laughs> that uses up the winter very quickly. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's happening is that um, yeah, diggers uh, 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 um, got uh, going to completely change the nursery. Mm-hmm. So um, we have um, mentioned um, antique perennials a couple of times this morning. Um, I've been involved with with um, uh, Matt and Michael um, at um, King Lake uh, virtually since they began the nursery and uh, swapping plants and 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 retailing their plants. 
and uh, for the last several years, there's been a small display of their plants. Well, now we're going the whole hog, and yeah. <laughs> trying to try to set up, uh, trying to uh, as 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 much as possible, we'll have the full catalogue. Fantastic. Um, and and it, that's already happening. Um, it's it's uh, we're about halfway through setting it up. I there's quite see. a bit of work which will be happening over the spring, and uh, so that's the first stage of the work, and and. Um, and then, uh, well, I'll wait and see how we've got another project as well, but I, yeah. <laughs> we just need to get a few more um, uh, things in place before we start making announcements. But this spring is um, all sorts happening. So Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah. So what a- else are you pruning, Jeremy? Um, well, well, it's interesting. The, uh, we're growing so many slightly unusual things trying to figure them out is is um uh spend a lot of time sort of well i spend a lot of time standing and looking at something and trying to figure it out and some of the roses for instance the mm-hmm. now we uh, well we've got one or two david austins and they're pretty straightforward but the moisey roses um just what do we do with those and 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 they they get up to three four meters high. Really, all we can do is rid, uh, cut back the old twiggy growth, which has been flowering heavily for three or four years and starting to lose strength. Mm. So we re- remove that old twiggy growth and take it back to um, fresh looking growth. And do you and grow it, them on obelisks? Yeah, um, well, moisture moisture is unusual in that it, it it sends up several major stems from the. And base, then you end up uh, end up with a canopy up three, four meters high, mm. and so they're great rows for growing plants underneath. Mm. Um, so we so use we the, so, so we got three <laughs> three or four of them through the borders with herbaceous plants tucked in the heart against them. It's geranium, is it? Uh, we're using geranium, high down uh, and, and high down ensis. So mm-hmm. uh, we have geranium in the warm waters and high down ensis in the cool waters. Mm. They're subtly different. One's a scarlet red, and the other one's a, a warm brick red, I suppose, mm-hmm. not quite orange red. And beautiful hips. Oh, beautiful hips, and the flowering is, is magnificent on ferny foliage. But trying to figure out just how best to prune it, and that they behave these things, uh, these. Um, Hybrids, these um, cluster species, they behave differently in different gardens too. So, every, so in each case, everyone has to figure it out mm. how best to look after, how best to keep this this plant going. Mm. Um, the the other ones are the spinosismus, the Scots briar roses, which send out a massive twiggy growth. In that case, it, oh, <laughs> I tend to just stand back and let them get bigger and bigger year by year and try and a little bit of pruning for shape and trying to not allow them to overwhelm surrounding plants. But um, ours are, what, 15, 18 years old? And there's one or two specimens that are using up, well, about three metres across and about two, three metres high. They, now you uh, and it's just a massive, very fine twiggy growth. Uh, by golly, they are fabulous garden plants. Though mm. uh, th- these things are incredible. You think of an ordinary rose; well, it's good for a few weeks in little bursts over the season. Whereas a Scotch Briar rose, well, it flowers once and then stops flowering, sort of. 
You think, <laughs> well, you know, you're going to grow. David Austin's not one of these things, except, except their foliage is absolutely magnificent. They all have interesting foliage. Um, uh, there's, there's one or two with a lot of glaucous blue in the, these very fine, ferny leaves. There's one or two with quite a bit of mahogany red. Um, they the, are the very flowering, thorny, it, though, like very small. Yeah, thorns. lots of prickles, yeah. but the prickles are actually um, not thorns, prickles. Prickles, sorry. <laughs> a yeah, bit like the, a raspberry cane. Yeah, more so yeah. How, a, how's it work? A thorn is uh, an aborted branch, a prickle is, is bark, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yes, so they're prickles. That's true. Um, but the prickles are actually quite handsome in their yeah. fuzzy kind of a way. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you, you wouldn't sort of leap into one of those things, you'd <laughs> no. be prickled. Um, but they are interesting. They're, look, these things pay their rent 52 weeks of the year. Listen, yeah. <laughs> even in the middle of winter, they're amazing. Yeah. Uh, and after they've dropped their leaves, you could grow them as foliage plants. They put on a show of flowers, good for about five, six weeks. I'm sure you get And then their hips, they, they have, um, quite often they have black hips and sometimes red hips. And there's, there's about 15 or so varieties uh, when you hunt them down. Mm. I'm sure you get questions about them quite frequently. Yeah, yeah. And I just that's... haven't figured out how to prune them. Yeah. I think you just let them get bigger and bigger. and <laughs> <laughs> Let them take over to a certain extent. But they... Just do one, Jeremy, and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, just take it down to the ground, see what happens. Uh, we do have a couple of callers, and I'm sorry, I've been engrossed in conversation. So we've got Kate from Surrey Hills to talk about bulb removal. Hello, Kate. No, I think we lost Kate. Sorry, I took too long. But now we've got Fermi um, from Risdale. Hello, Fermi. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for your patience. How are you going? That's all right. It's always interesting hearing the the Hills Mafia talk. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) True. It's a great name Uh, for for the group today. Yeah. I think... um, I was mainly ringing because of the question on the pronunciation of Clivia. Stephen Alwis, oh, we have to defer to the Mount Macedon guru. <laughs> Stephen Alwis refers to the fact that Clivia is named for Lady Clive and Clive not Lady Clive. Yeah. So um, um, I, would, I would always defer to Clivia rather than Clivia because yeah. also... If you say clivia, well, the rules of um, of uh, grammar should mean that it should be a double V if you're going to say clivia. Okay, I'm, I'm sure you would have uh, you you yeah. would have had long conversations with Judy <laughs> Mack on on this very subject. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, um, yeah, I, I, um, I always bow to her knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Well, we yes. appreciate the uh, the dictation. Uh, <laughs> Good. I was, I was also going to say um, for those. Um, thank you for mentioning the Fernie Creek um, show. It, uh, we were, I was up there yesterday, and it is one of the magnificent spring shows. So oh. sometimes uh, the rock garden section is like half a trestle table. It is two tables wide this time, and there's a, a superb um, uh, cut flower. The one that won the blue ribbon 
Um, I won't say who was the judge. <laughs> Modesty forbid. <laughs> um, it was a, the cut flower, the blue ribbon for the cut flower was a vase of Mitzi, which is a um, Narcissus hybrid. And I've never seen so many cut flowers. I mean, to be able to sacrifice that many flowers for, for a display was just amazing. Uh, but it's something if you if you like Narcissus, it's a great show to come up to. Um, Fernie Creek is one of the few shows now that is recognised by the Victorian Daffodil Society for its um, uh, daffodil awards. So um, it's uh, worth seeing. Um, Will Ashburner from Hancock's Nursery was up there yesterday and uh, putting out his display. He has a huge range of seedling daffodils. So these are ones that aren't in commerce yet. So it's something you've really got to go up and see. Mm-hmm. But they've also, Hancock's have also got their big um, display in the Tyndale room. So when you first walk into the hall on the left-hand side uh, up against the dice, which is where Jane usually has her display during the um, the, the expo in March, um, is just a wall of daffodils. It's just amazing. So it's really a, a good day to go up to the Dandenongs. Yeah. And, yeah. and thanks also for mentioning the Alpine Garden Society, which is the other group I belong to, uh, having the, um, the conference. And, yes, tickets are selling out. So um, if you haven't booked yet, Please get on on the ball. Mm. And does the plant sale start at eight o'clock, Fermi, for the ages? The plant sales uh, look. <laughs> we're we're um, we are hoping that everything goes smoothly. And yes, as soon as you register, you can go through and start buying plants. Okay. Uh, but um, the logistics, uh, I don't quite know the logistics. I'm not on the subcommittee that's organised the conference. I think we also have to. Um, uh, we're at the mercy of the venue as to what time. We don't know what time the workers get there because we're thinking, well, we've said it for 8 o'clock. Um, I'm presuming there's going to be somebody there by by that time to let us in. Okay, it looks like it's a car boot sale, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it may well be. We're, we're, we're hoping... Oh, look, it, uh, because it's a commercial place, we, we can't be exactly sure that they're not going to get a... a booking for Friday night, mm. okay? Mm. So if they're booked out Friday night, we can't get in there to set up early on the Friday night. But we are hoping we will, in which case everything just goes off like clockwork and we get there early on, on Saturday and uh, we um, get the registration table open and then as soon as people are registered, they can go through plant sales. And, yes, Alan... <laughs> is bringing a truckload of plants. He did question uh, when we said a truckload, and um, Susan, our president, said, well, it's a, it's an expression. Yeah. But he, he usually comes down to our plant sales with his ute loaded up with plants, like, like more than anybody else in the yeah. group. He is an um, extremely generous man when it comes to yeah. donations to the... Oh. Garden societies, he's and and the but the things he grows. Uh, I don't know anybody who's been as prolific since the days of Bill Maxwell, who was mm. one of our early um, earlier um, growers, who just uh, grew so many things from seed. And Alan's just got a great setup to uh, to uh, um, you know uh, propagate plants and um, get things out. And he he just 
has an amazing range of plants from the miniature little uh, penstemons from North America to you know wildflowers from Greece and um, and Europe. Uh, it's a great um, number of plants, and he's also starting to specialise in the Australian alpine. Yeah. So mm. he's probably one of the best of our group. I think he's one of the best growers of Australian alpine, and uh, that's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to the conference because we're we're not only getting John Mitchell from uh, the Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh, but we've also got Russell Lark, who's one of our own Australian um, botanists and uh, horticulturalists, and um, he's going to be talking about the sort of things that we do in Australia to bring plants into cultivation. Uh, mm. So that, that's uh, something we're really looking forward to hearing about. Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful event. Thank you for calling yeah. in and, and telling us more about it, Fermi. Yeah, okay. Thanks, everyone. Pleasure. Thanks so Bye, much. Bye, Fermi. See you later. Bye. No, it's interesting that that um, it looks like all the tickets will be sold. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so uh, if anyone's thinking about it, they should leap in quickly. Mm. Um, no, it, 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 this is quite an ambitious project. It, it struck me. Yeah, and, especially and, such short notice. Uh, yeah, mm. and and uh, no, it, it, it says something about the. Uh, the horticultural community, I suppose, mm. in, in um, locally, that uh, something like this can be mounted. There's not too many places around the world where something like this is possible. Mm. Um, and, uh, yes, and tickets are running out. So yeah. <laughs> I also feel in. like more young people are getting more interested in plants and, and niche you know, yep. areas of plants. So I, I'd uh, agree with that. Yeah. That's what yeah. we need. Yeah. yeah. Oh, do yeah. we? So it's really do we? Exciting. Do we? What? Yeah. Oh, there's just the, yeah. the just the <laughs> yeah. Australian bush is under so much pressure at the moment, and, yeah. and we we have to come to grips with what there is, and mm. and um, yeah. It's, I find yeah. more and more young people coming into the nursery. Yeah, it's yeah. an exciting time, I think. Yeah. And and really good as well, like the Alpine Garden Society did offer a number of bursaries for students. So mm-hmm. looking forward to meeting some of the students that yeah. come along. What well. I find about the younger people is that they use their phones a lot. Yeah, <laughs> true, <laughs> true. To, to like, search the so go- Googling names on tags. Mm-hmm. And, they don't yeah, come yeah. and chat to you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, come chat to Craig. Don't be afraid. Have a talk. Because good local information is available. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's why – and it's also a networking opportunity for the younger ones to come to an event like this. Um, And, yeah, just meet some people, get get the information out there. It's wonderful. So we have a lovely text message from Jason in Moorabark. He phoned in to wish all the 3CR Garden Show people and listeners a happy Father's Day. Yeah. Remiss of me to not mention it. I apologise. But, yeah, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I hope you get out in the garden. and Well, maybe maybe not. You know, maybe you want to rest today. But, <laughs> but so one of the things... Uh, 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 Valerie and I know it says we're driving down the mountain highway uh, this morning. It was the first time in years that we'd not been, we hadn't, we weren't driving past heaps and heaps of bicyclists coming up the other way. Mm. And what? They're still home in bed? What is it today? Yeah, it's just possible they are still in bed. Yeah, true. <laughs> Taking the day. Yeah, to literally. Rest. Not one bicyclist. I mean, normally we'd pass 150, 200. Yeah, right. well, they probably have to make breakfast. You My know? father didn't <laughs> approve of Father's Day. Oh. I'd ring him up and wish him a happy. What are you talking about that nonsense for? <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't his thing. No. Okay. So did you make sure 
you did it every year yeah, after that. Of course. We always gave him a ring, but it was always the same response. He thought it was some sort of thing that was concocted. By, by Hallmark. Yeah. 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 Too commercial. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, a ring is nice. I mean, it's not like you were buying him a gift. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. It's um, it's a special day for many people. Yeah, that's right. So we've got another lovely question. Um, Jane, two to three years ago, I planted lots of daffodils and jonquils in uh, multiple 12-inch pots to maximise sun and flowering. Six plus hours of sun, but again, this year, lots of green growth and few flowers. Very disappointing. What's happening? Also, I cannot find a good bulb food. Please recommend some. Thanks. Okay. Um, have If they've been in the same pots for the three mm. or four years, that might be the issue, yeah. that the bulbs have got to the stage where they've bulked up and they need to be lifted and divided, which she can do after um, they finish doing their thing. I wouldn't shift them out of a pot mm. if you're going to divide up while they're in the green. I'd wait till around Christmas time to do that. Um, because it, it, daffodils in pots probably need to be repotted every season to um, be at their optimal best. Um, that would be my recommendation. And a, a, a bulb food, look, I, I get mine from the commercial grower suppliers in Mombog, which is Muir's, um, and I use a thing called Platinum Plus, which is a sort of 10, 10, 10, basic, um, palletized, but it's also, um, it's not like organic plus is better for environment and things like that. But if you're wanting a, a palletized chemical based kind of fertilizer, that's really balanced that, um, platinum plus is the one I would sort of recommend, but there's, there's proper slow release or, um, no, it's pretty quick release. Okay. Um, that's what it's when, when it gets wet and it mm. starts to melt, um, but I, I would, you know, a go-to is your osmocotes and mm. things. Mm. That would be perfect for our daffodils and stuff too. So, yeah. um, but there used to be commercial sort of specific what they would say would bulb food. So mm. um, any of the sort of tomato foods or rose foods are always generally pretty good for bulbous stuff too. So mm. I mean, basically whatever you've got in yeah. your shed is generally okay. On your I don't think people understand. The sheer volume of fertiliser required for pot-grown plants. Yeah, because it just leaks out. And there's nowhere for the roots to go. I mean, they're stuck there. It's good advice, but we just have one caller, and I'll just try and squeeze them in because we've got four minutes. So um, we've got Robert from Mitcham. Hello, Robert. Sorry, Robert. Um, Try one more time. No, we've lost Robert. Sorry about that. Um, Well, we do have a text message as well. Uh, Fernie Creek was great yesterday. We had a guided walk conducted by Don Teese and his dog, Louie. (laughs) Then ran into Virginia. Yes, what a a treat. After we left, we then went to Craig's Nursery and Virginia was there too. Uh, finished off with a walk at Perianda Gardens, Peter and Vicky from Notting Hill. Oh, thanks, guys. That's What really a great lovely. day out. Yeah, yeah. sounds yeah. wonderful. Well, I hope Robert calls back, but maybe um, it will have to be for next show because we're running into the end. But you were saying, Craig, the vast amount of, of fertiliser. For pots. And, and yeah. I tend to use chemical fertilisers in pots because mm-hmm. I find the organic fertilisers break down and clog it, plog up the potting mix. Oh. Do you have a favourite of the... Mm, or, um, 
Nitrofosca blue okay. yep. is it generally what I turn to. Would yeah. they be able to get that readily somewhere? I don't know. I just use Osmocote. Osmocote, mm. yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. the only reason I don't use Osmocote is because it's really expensive mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. 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 Oh, the... for us doing it on a commercial scale, yeah. yeah. But to yeah. go and buy yourself Yeah, some yeah, yeah. Food. That's yeah. what I'd be using. Mm. Yeah. Some Osmocote. But don't forget that three months. You've got to do it again. You've got to do it again. Mm. And really, three months, I think probably two. Yep. I think it goes a little bit Because yeah, then you're overlapping enough that it's yeah. not... Mm. But yeah. keep feeding pots. Mm. The other thing that's noteworthy about Osmocote that I was told once is that when you apply it, um, it doesn't necessarily start releasing until the temperature's mm. above mm. 24 degrees. Right. So if you put it on in winter, you're not going to see much impact no. anyway. No. Wait until it's warmer to apply it. Yeah. Mm. And liquid feed as well. Mm. I liquid feed as well as, yeah. as the, the chemical fertilisers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and with a lot of like the, with the begonias, for example, I liquid feed them every time I water them. Mm. So liquid food goes into the watering. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. because you're letting them dry out so much between waters, you yeah, know, they don't right. they don't need a saucer of water under a begonia. Yeah. So, you know, every time it's quite impactful to give them that extra feed yep. with the water. Yep. And that way you'll get nice flowers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really coming to the end for this morning. A big thank you to our producers, Matt and Doug, for um, manning the phones and helping with all that they do. And thanks to Liz for doing our socials. Uh, She does a great job and we'll have some photos up on the socials later today. Um, And thanks to Craig Wilson, Jane Tonkin and Jeremy Francis for sharing your time and knowledge with myself and the listeners this morning. Really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, my name's Emma Hurd and you've been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. It's been lovely spending Sunday morning with you and uh, we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.